All right. How excited are y'all to be in church today? All right. You know, I, uh, I'll tell you, this is one of those sermons that uh, when, I, when I first started at the beginning of the week, uh, and I knew I was going to preach on this, but uh, we're going to be talking about the Old Testament law and some of the prophets today, but yet we also have the challenge of making it so exciting that you not only feel like you're going to walk away with a victory, but you feel like I'm so excited about this that I want to go tell other people about this. And so that's kind of a daunting task when we talk about Old Testament law, because I can already tell some of y'all might not be that excited to get into some of the Old Testament and some of the laws, but there should be a lot of anticipation in this sermon, because can it be exciting, can it be entertaining to talk about the law and the prophets? Are y'all anticipating good things? It's going to be good. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now, high five them, and say, I can't wait to see how the Holy Spirit makes this awesome. All right. I can tell it's just, it's building with y'all. That's good. That's good. Because God did put something on my heart today that, uh, that I'm excited about. A few months ago, I went to, um, I went on a cruise. How many of y'all have ever been on a cruise? All right. Cruises, I love cruises, but when you get off a cruise, you go through this experience, and it's an experience that is kind of confounding. It's, it's one of contradictions. You feel like, and you know that you're steady, but yet you feel as if you're unsteady, and your body can't figure out how this could, could be happening. If I'm walking on solid ground, how does it seem so unsteady to me? And, and as I had that experience, uh, as preachers will do, I thought, you know what, this is a good metaphor for life, because I think there's a lot of us that walk through life knowing that it's supposed to be steady like this, but it feels unsteady. I'm supposed to be steady, but life feels unsteady. I was listening to a a podcast this past week with a couple of atheists. I have two phones. I picked up my wife's phone. (laughs) That's not got anything I need on it. I was listening to this podcast, and as I was... uh, listening to these two atheists talk, they, they just kind of in a, in a moment of honesty, they said, you know what, there's a lot of contradictions in being an atheist. And one of the atheists said, you know, I'm going to be honest, there are times when I'm going for a job or something like this and I start praying. And even though I'm an atheist, I, I'll pray that, you know, that I get the job or that I get this blessing. And then, and then he said, and I'll be honest, sometimes when I say something and I don't want it jinxed, I'll knock on wood. And it's just kind of a habit that I have that somehow there's a jinx or a hoax out there, that, or a, I mean a hex out there that could stop it. And the other one who's a very famous atheist, he said, well, if I'm very honest, I would tell you that I have made it a habit to never sleep in a, in a hotel or a house that has, been, has a rumor of being haunted. He says, I know that there's nothing more than the material world, but yet I just can't bring myself to go into a house that's supposed to be haunted. And I heard this, and uh, I thought, you know what? I get it. I get that exactly because as a Christian, I also walk in these, these uh, complexities. I walk with this feeling of I know how it's supposed to be. I know what the Bible says to me, but also it can be confounding sometimes to put your faith in God and see uncertainty in life. And, and so as I was thinking about all of just the, the ways that, you know, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says that before God formed the foundations of the earth, he knew you and he chose you. Think about that. So God, he, you, he knew you before the foundations of the earth, which if that's billions of years, millions of years, however long ago that was, 
He knew you, which means if you're thinking from a scientific brain, he knew all the DNA of your parents and your grandparents and all the different... Court, how the, there's just a lot that goes into that. But then you look around at the earth, and the God knew you. He knows you, and he's always known you. He's that planned that he's coordinated so that he can know you before the foundations of the earth. He knew you were going to be there. But yet we look at the world, and you even look at your life, and you say, you know what? This is spinning out of control. In fact, some of us look around, whether it's politics or whether it's the, the, the battles we're dealing with in life, and we think, you know what, how can God let this happen? He must have forgot about me. Maybe he left me. Maybe he's not there. Or I just don't get it. And we, we have these complexities of how could this be happening to me if God is in control, if God's always known? And it's kind of confounding sometimes. And in fact, you know, one of the, the funny thing about uh, that conversation is one of those men was, a, was the most famous atheist that, uh, that is alive today. His name is Richard Dawkins. And his book, The God Delusion, which is a mocking religion, it, it's, it's a book of mocking religion, it has a quote in it that when I was reading this quote, it absolutely changed my life. Um, and in fact, I had a worship moment reading this book written by an atheist against religion. I'm going to read you the quote just so you can, uh, so I can explain why it was a big deal. This is what it said. He, he's trying to make the case that God can't exist. He says this, A God who is capable of sending intelligible signals to millions of people simultaneously and receiving messages from all of them simultaneously cannot be, whatever else he might be, cannot be simple. Such bandwidth it would take for all of that. And, and I had this moment reading that of, you know what? There are millions of people praying right now. And as a Christ follower, I believe that God is not only hearing my prayers and your prayers and millions of prayers, but he's also speaking back to us. And when he said that just the bandwidth, he goes on to take, talk about just how much information, how smart or, or, or how big that being would have to be, all of a sudden my mind was blown, and, he's like, and, I, and I just had this moment where I was like, you know what, you're right. I have been worshiping this small, wrong God all along. The God that I'm worshiping has to be bigger if he's doing everything that, that we know him to be doing. In fact, this whole story has to be so much bigger. God is in control of everything, and if that's the case, if he really did create everything and he's speaking to us and doing all of these things, then the God we worship is so much bigger, so much more powerful, and so much more capable than we ever, ever imagined. Today, I want to show us that God is and always has been in control of this world. And the reason that I want you to get excited about it is because we have an opportunity to go out from here and tell people about this God who is in control. People who feel abandoned by God. People who feel as if maybe they're trying to make sense of, of a, the chaos of this world. Of the world events or maybe the life events they're going through that don't make any sense. And we have the opportunity to, to give them a perspective, an anchor, if you will. Of, Let me show you something about God. Maybe the God <laughs> that, that you're wondering how he can manage this chaos. Maybe he's infinitely bigger than you ever thought possible. So we're going to continue where we've started last week, going through the Sermon on the Mount, which was Jesus's most famous sermon. In fact, uh, I'm just going to read last, where we left off last week. He said this, 
In the same way, Jesus talking to his disciples, he said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He told his disciples, you're going to be light. And understand, this is a king making a, a proclamation of his kingdom. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's the king finally coming. Every time Jesus would, would preach, his followers would later, they would write, hey, I could sum up all of Jesus' sermons with this proclamation. Repent, the kingdom of God is here. Everywhere Jesus goes, one of the messages he's, he's, he's telling us is, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here. It's not just then. It's not just when we all die and the heaven and earth pass away. That's not when we talk about heaven. Wherever Jesus is, wherever the king is, the kingdom is there. And so Jesus comes and he says, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about the kingdom of heaven. It's the number one thing he talked about. And the first thing he says to his disciples, he says, remember, you're going to be the ones. You're my subjects. You're going to be the ones that take this light to the world, that give this light to the world. And every time people see what you're doing, the way that you're acting, the, the good works you're doing, they're going to point and they're going to say, this is the kingdom of God. This is the Father in heaven doing this. So he makes this announcement, and there are a lot of people following him. There's a lot of people curious because they've heard about Jesus. They've heard about the message he's been giving that is quite different than anything they've ever really heard of before. And so if you're going to hear about a new kingdom... You want to know about this new kingdom. What's it going to be like? If I'm going to be a subject in this new kingdom, if I'm going to be a subject in this kingdom of God, what are the laws in this new kingdom? And so the first thing that Jesus is really going to set after proclaiming his kingdom and after giving this, this uh, command for his followers to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, he says, now that you're, you know you have this responsibility, let me tell you the laws of the kingdom. And this is important because not only did they wrestle with the laws of God, we wrestle with the laws of God. In fact, today, I think some of you are going to have your uh, minds that you're going to understand a lot more about the, the law. There's some at, the, at this time who are hearing Jesus, and they come from a religious background, or at least they, they think they, they kind of understand. They are supposed to be a good person. They're supposed to follow the law. So they're trying to follow the law. They're trying to get to church. They're trying to do these things, but... The law of, uh, that the Jewish people were following, there were 613 laws, and they were supposed to follow all of them. And some people did, but most people, average Joes, if you will, had a little bit of trouble sometimes following the law. They would forget. They would, they would realize they had, they had done it. Or, or maybe they were addicted. Maybe they had a reason, and they just were struggling, and they couldn't get there. And so there were, there were people that sincerely wanted to follow God. But it was just a burden. It was just pressing on them, trying to be good all the time. And when you make a mistake, just feeling as if you had disappointed. And man, I'm not good. Enough. And, and you see other people, and they seem to have it together. So there, there are people that want Jesus to come and say, listen, we're getting rid of that old law. We're going to do something totally new. We're getting rid of it. Okay? We want something new, something that can be actually done, that we can actually know God, that we can meet God, something that is an actual way that makes me feel better, not worse whenever I think about it. The law. And then there's another group of people, and these are the group of people that they love God, they, they, they want to know God, but they come here thinking, we know God gave us that old law. He, we know that God gave us this Old Testament, so if, if he says anything against the law, if he says, hey, this is new, we're scrapping it, we're going in a new direction, if he says that, hey, we're going to kill him, we're going to get rid of him right then. And so you have these two groups within the people listening. And Jesus is going to give the, 
the rules of the kingdom. He's going to lay out this new kingdom. And some are saying, we just want it to be new. And the other people are saying, it better not be new. And Jesus is going to say something that's not only going to speak to both groups. It's going to draw them both in to the heart of God. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prof or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but, then, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot, in Hebrew it would be not one yod, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. This is a big deal. This is why, as a Christ follower, you should get excited when we talk about the law, because when we talk about the law, we talk about the law of God as fulfilled. Not scrapped, not thrown away, it is fulfilled. And most Christ followers, most of us don't fully understand this. But once you understand this, it's going to get you a little more excited about what Jesus did. Okay, so, first thing I want you to know is that fulfill does not mean to end or complete. Especially the word that is used here does not mean it is done, it is complete. That is not what Jesus is saying here. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Fulfill means to fill fully. Okay? It's in the word. To fill fully. I have filled it. So let me give you a, a, an illustration. I want to let you know. I'm going to use some illustrations today. All of my illustrations are going to fall a little short. I get this, okay? The first illustration about the law of God, I would say, is one of the first laws that God actually gives. In fact, before he gives the law to Moses, he, he, there are sometimes you'll hear a, a rule that's given. The first real law that you see is in Genesis when uh, God says to Adam, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will unite to his wife. That word unite is actually to know is how it's translated, but it's actual will have sexual uh, relations with his wife, will be intimate with her. And, and, and as we go through the law of God, we begin to see that there's this law of God that sex is defined for marriage. It is within marriage it is the only time that a God, that someone following God should have sex, that there are, are limits. There is a law that governs sex. And so when I was single, I had, if I want to follow God, I have this law over me. I, I can't have sex. If I'm single, if I'm not married, I cannot have sex. But then I get married, and when I get married, that law doesn't go away. That law isn't just, okay, we can throw that law out the book. That law still exists. And in fact, it just looks different in marriage. Can't commit adultery. But understand, it's the same law, but it's a law that's been fulfilled. And so there's this freedom in that law in which now I can fully enjoy the purpose of the law. God created sex. He gave it to his people. He gave it to us as a blessing. He wanted it to be fruitful and multiply as a blessing that he gave to humanity. So he gives sex as a gift, but this law is given to us to govern it. It's a way that we can pursue God within this law. And even in my marriage, I can, still, I can still obey this law. This law still governs me. It just governs me differently because it is fulfilled. There is freedom in a fulfilled law. I, I, I live it out, I obey it differently, but I don't throw the law out. It still governs me. And so Jesus is saying all of these laws that we've been following and you've been under and, and, and they've become very hard to follow, but understand I have not thrown them out. 
but they are now fulfilled. And when you have a fulfilled law, it changes everything. And now, what I want you to see about this is that Jesus is saying, I'm not plan B. Okay? Jesus is not plan B. God isn't looking down at us and saying, man, these people are worse than I thought. Man, all, I had no idea they were going to be this bad. i got to figure out a new way to save this world because, man, they are so awful. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not plan B. This is how it was supposed to be from the beginning. This is how, from the beginning of creation, this is what God wanted. And in fact, he's not looking at you thinking, you know what, <laughs> I didn't think that I didn't think you'd still be struggling with that same thing. I didn't think that you'd still be. I thought you loved me. I didn't think you'd still be struggling with that. I thought you wanted to be close to me. I didn't think you'd still. He's not looking at you like, I can't believe you do this. i got to figure this out. Instead, he said, from the beginning of time, I had a way that even when you're struggling, even in your sin, even when things aren't going the way you think, there was a plan. And Jesus is that plan. He's not plan B. God is not shocked at your condition right now. He is not shocked at what you're going through. Now, how can this be? We look at the Old Testament. It's quite a bit different than the way most of us live. Most of us don't eat kosher kosher foods. Most of us don't live thinking about all of these laws. But I want to let you know, you're still under the same law that God gave. It's just different. It's fulfilled. Second thing I want you to see, if that's true, if Jesus fulfilled the law, then that means that the entire Old Testament was about Jesus. The entire Old Testament was about Jesus. It was not something uh, different. It was all about Jesus. Jesus even says this, by the way. And Jesus is walking after he has risen from the dead. He is walking, and some people are asking, and this is what it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Don't I switch mics? I don't know. I don't know why that's happening. Am I shaking too much? I don't know. I'll try to be still, y'all. So, he says, all of the laws are about me. All of the, the, the prophets, it's all about me. This is nothing new. This isn't a shaking the etch sketch and let's try something else because i, I, I got to find something that works. This is the plan from the beginning. And so you need to know what the law really was about. The law was really about the presence of God. He gave us a law as a way to bring God's holy presence to an unholy people. And this is important for us to know because most people who think they know about the law, think it's different. Most people think that the law is what we do to get to God. That is not the way it is phrased in the Old Testament. It is how God gets to us. Um, It is not a paying off of a debt. In fact, when we look at sacrifices in the Old Testament, the sacrifices in the Old Testament are not me here paying my debt. Here's my my debt. The, the, The sacrifices cleanse the temple. They cleanse the temple so that the presence of God can stay in the temple in the midst of an unholy people. Leviticus chapter 1 says that if I, uh, um, every, uh, every time I come to present an offering, I'm going to come and I'm going to actually, the head of the house is actually going to kill the animal, make the sacrifice. But I'm not going to walk away from that sacrifice saying, hey, I paid my debt. I'm free. I am perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm square. Instead, 
uh, when I make that sacrifice and I see that blood come out, the, the priest is then going to take that blood. He's going to take it into the tent, the tent, the tabernacle, or later the temple. He's going to take that blood in there, and he's going to sprinkle it all over the inside of the tabernacle. It's probably not the uh, beautiful, pretty picture of the tabernacle inside that you might think of. But understand what he's, he's, what, what's going on here. It's not that the person walks away thinking, man, now I'm going to go to heaven. I've been perfect. I, made, you know, I, 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 I paid for my sins. It's no. This sacrifice... This blood, it atoned, it covered is the word. It covered my sins. And so it goes in and sprinkles this. I think about it like this. Have you ever had, and again, all of my illustrations are not perfect. You ever had your mother say when you were a kid, you can't have your friends come over until you do what? Clean your room, okay? This is kind of the way it's going. God is not going to stay in the midst of a filth. A holy God is not going to stay in the midst of an unholy people. And so if you want the presence of God, which at that time would reside everywhere still, but specifically they could have a place where they know and they could see, man, these, these God would make uh, clouds come down and he would do things so that the people would know, okay, it's here. God, the presence of God is, is here. And, and, and this sprinkling cleanses the temple. And what you need to know is... The people loved this. At the time when Leviticus was given, when the laws were were given, most people were excited about the law because they'd been wandering in the desert. They had been slaves. Their ancestors had been slaves. And in their mind, they're like, we were helpless. We were not going to get free from, from slavery. And God saved us. This is a powerful God. This is a God who can take us out of bondage, out of all of these things. We can, can keep us sustained even when we're in the desert. And, and now that we're where we're supposed to be, we want to know he's with us. And so this law provided them with a way that they would get excited. Hey, I get to go uh, give this sacrifice because that's going to make sure that the presence of God is still here even when I'm dirty, even when I don't deserve it. If I've sinned or if I you know, would have shame for something I've done, now I have this way to know that God is going to be here. He's going to be with me even in the midst of my sin and shame. And so when the people are given these laws, they're not like we are right now. Many of us are like, oh my gosh, it's just so hard following, following God. There's just so many things. I've got to be good, this and that. They were like, okay, I'll do this, I'll do that, because this is a God who saves me. And internally, it matched what they were doing externally, and that's a big idea. The laws were external. Do this, do that, don't do that, don't do that. But understand, inside, in their hearts, they were aligned. I want God. I want the presence of God. If this is a way that, that I can honor God, if this is a way, then I will follow his law. I will love his law. That's why when you read the Psalms, they love the law of God. They love being told to do this because it's a way I can honor God and I can, I can know his presence are here because I'm under this law. And I'm, that means I'm in his kingdom. And that means he is my king. And that means no matter where I am, I'm going to be in the presence of God. But something happens. In the business world, they would call it mission drift. I kind of think of it uh, another illustration of buying a pool. Uh, my wife and I, we bought a, a pool, and one of the reasons we bought the pool is because, hey, we want to have fun with our kids. We want to be able to go in our backyard. I'd never really been in my backyard until I got a pool. Now, I'm every, if, the, if it's nice, I'm there. I'm out in the backyard. I'm with, but you know, there's things that come with a pool. 
And now I've got to clean the pool, okay? I've got to put chemicals in the pool. I've got to maintain this pool. And I, right now, it's honeymoon phase. I'm like, hey, if that's what, hey, if that gets me to where I get to swim every day, I get to be out there, I get to, to hang out with my kids, they can have their friends over, that's great. But then sometimes I go over to my mom and dad's house. Now, my mom and dad, they bought a pool like 30-something years ago. And they'll tell you, they bought the pool because they wanted their kids to have a place where they could come. They wanted their kids to be able to swim. And in fact, they'll tell you, every single uh, day, and, and if the weather was nice, my brother and I, we were there with our friends, and my parents knew where we were. We were in there, but we're not there anymore. <laughs> we don't go over there every day anymore. And so now there's sometimes that we'll go over to my parents' house, and we'll look, and we'll be like, hey, y'all haven't been keeping up this pool. And all of a sudden, that pool has become kind of a burden to them. Because sometimes it's, oh, do I have to clean the pool? And why? Because all of a sudden, what was internal has gone, but they still have to do the external. You see? When, when, the, when, it, when it's all together, hey, I'll go clean my pool, no problem. Because internally, I love having the pool. But there could be a day in which I'm like, oh, man, i gotta, I got to clean the pool. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. And you go through this. And this is what happens with God's people. You see, he gives them this law of how to live, and they love it. And they try to their best, and it's a way that they know, hey, the heart of God is with me, even in the midst of my sin. But then, a new generation, in fact, it'll even say this several times, and Joshua says this, what did it say? A new generation grew up that knew not God, that did not follow God. It says that several times. And you see this pattern of Israel. In fact, the name Israel, remember, remember what it means? It means to struggle, to wrestle. They begin this wrestling relationship with God of, okay, we'll follow your laws, we'll follow your, and he'll, he'll punish them or whatever because he's trying to bring their heart back to align with their actions, but they're wrestling with this. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to keep our actions and our heart together. But God knew this was going to happen. He knows people. He knew you before he made you, so he knew Israel would go through this. And that's where we begin to see that what was a blessing has now become a curse for the people. This law that was a way to opt in, to, to show God I'm with you, now all of a sudden is a curse and, and, and lost the inward. God decided I'm going to move us in to the next part of this. Now, want to just kind of remind us, a powerful faith, if you want a powerful faith, a powerful faith always flows from the inside, and God knows this. So I'm going to read some Old Testament prophets, okay? These were about 600 years before Jesus, and I want you to hear this foreshadowing of what God is doing with the law, of how God is recognizing, and he knew that our hearts inwardly were going to begin to fall away and we were still going to have this burden of the law that blessing was going to come, uh, was going to come a burden. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. God says, I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. He says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. But this is a foreshadowing because... Up until then, God's presence has only resided in the tabernacle or the temple. Okay? You had to go there. But God says, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to put my spirit within you. Jeremiah says it this way. 
Now I'm going to read, uh, I don't know if I've got all of this, but let me start with verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Those days being uh, um, that there's going to come a time when we're going to fulfill the laws, when the, when the Old Testament law is fulfilled. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall no longer teach each one of his brothers saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive them of their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So God says this. Instead of the temple being the place you go to meet with God, I'm going, there's going to come a day in which my presence will reside inside of you. And instead of you having to, to make these sacrifices so that you will know that the, that the temple has been atoned for and the presence of God can stay in the midst of the sinliness or the sinfulness, I'm going to somehow I'm going to make you the temple is what he's saying. You are going to be the temple. The the presence of God will be able to come to you and you won't have to to make a sacrifice or atonement each time. Instead, instead, you won't have to to wonder, have I have I have I fallen away from God? I'll always know. And anytime I sin, I'll be able to just ask God, my father, the relationship will be such that I can just ask for forgiveness, and I will be given forgiveness. There won't be the outward. It will be inward. And from now on, it's going to move the outward, the law, this great thing. I'm going to move it inside, and it's going to flow. And you're going to know my presence, not because of the outward things, but because of the inward things. Romans chapter 8, after this is fulfilled, this is what Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, and remember the, the law is good, but it's been weakened because we've let our flesh, our insides, weaken it. He says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he atoned, he covered your sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be what? Fulfilled in us who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, when the Spirit of God is in us, the only way the Spirit resides in us is if we've been made clean. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to fulfill this, what he's saying is, I'm going to make you clean. You will become the temple of a holy God. And anytime you need forgiveness, you won't have to go anywhere. It'll be right inside. I will be with you wherever you go. And even in the midst of sinfulness, the power of Christ will cleanse you. I'm telling you, this is good news. When we just look at what Jesus is saying by fulfilling the law, he kept the entire law perfectly. He fulfilled it in that way. He also fulfilled all of these messianic prophecies from the Old Testament. He fulfilled those, uh, those old prophets that said, hey, sometimes God is going to do something new. That's Jesus fulfilling that. But he also fulfilled the, the law in that he provided this atonement. He provided this sacrifice when he died on a cross. There are many ways in which Jesus fulfilled the law. But understand what happened was he moved the external law that had lost its power because the heart had changed and he put it back into the heart of his followers. So the question now is, how do I obey 
a fulfilled law. What does that mean for us if we're Christ followers? If I'm trusting that, that God is going to do this from, from the beginning, well, how, do I, how do I obey this? Do I even have to obey this? Because let's be honest, there are some of us that wrestle. If we think that throughout the law, some of us are like, this is great news. I don't have to do anything now. I can do whatever I want. Just live out. In fact, there's a, a heresy called antinomianism. Some of us, some of us have, have committed this heresy of saying, God, throughout the law, there's no law. I can do whatever I want now. I just got to be kind of love God, say I love God a lot. That's not what happened. We are still under the law. We are under a fulfilled law. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You still have a law governing you, which some of us are like, oh, great, here we go. I grew up in a house that was all laws. You got to go to church. You got to do this. You got to go. Maybe it was go talk to a priest or maybe it was don't, uh, you know, drink or smoke. Don't, whatever it was, I grew up with these laws. But understand this. If you are more burdened by guilt, then you are trying to live out an unfulfilled law. But whenever you are released and you experience God and you come to church and you have a moment where you're more free and you feel the forgiveness, that is a fulfilled law. You understand there was a payment made. There was a sacrifice made. There was covering made, but I didn't do it. It was done for me. And you walk out, oh, this is great. I'm still under this law. I've still got to, to be the light, but it was done for me. Jesus did it for me. He brought the presence of God in. See, religion says you got to do all these laws. you got to do all these laws. It doesn't matter how your heart is. Relationship says, listen, it is all about what God is doing inside. Relationship over religion. Now, I've got three, three illustrations that we'll see. Uh, I'm going to try to make this clear of how we live out the law. The first one I want to give is just kind of a, uh, a practical one. Now, in our church, we actually have, uh, we have two staff members, me and Joey, and we have a handbook that I wrote for all the law, like all the rules of this church, how we relate as staff. It's got all the days that we get off. It's got all this stuff. And the only reason I did this is because I saw other churches do this. I saw this is what businesses do, so I did it. Um, Joey's never seen this handbook. He doesn't know that this handbook exists because I've never given him the handbook, okay? Now, I understand there may be a time in this church in which, I have to, which we have you know, a whole, whole bunch of people and uh, people that are over other people and other people, and, and we've got to make sure that everybody has you know, their ducks in a row. But now... Whenever Joey wants a day off, he just comes to me and he says, hey, I'm going to take this day off. Or he says, hey, in fact, he did this last week. Hey, we've had a death in the family. I'm going to take these days off. Hey, I'll get everything covered. I, uh, you know, it's going to be it's still great. And I'm like, okay, yeah, go. Have a, you know, spend that time with your family. Take more time if you need. Whatever you need, you do. In fact, what's interesting about this is, instead of Joey saying, hey, we don't have any rules because I don't have the handbook, what I found is that Joey actually ends up working probably more because he loves the church. He loves his job. He loves what he's doing. And so he's going to make sure he's not just going to say, hey, I don't have to go to work. I'm not going to do anything. In fact, he's going to get, make sure that the worship team is ready, that they're, they've, he's probably going to do more work leading up to it. And he's going to, hey, I, there are days in which I have to say, hey, we're taking off because it's a holiday because we don't think about holidays because we know there's, you know, technically everybody else is taking off, but it's just a relationship. If he needs it, he just asks. And I, I don't think I've ever said no. 
In fact, I want him to take, if he can get his job done and do a great job, I want him to enjoy time with his family. I want him to be able to say, you know what I love about, one of the things I love about my job is when I need to go be somewhere, I can go be somewhere. That's the beauty of having a relationship over just rules. Now, let's go to the Bible a little bit. So let's take a law, the Sabbath law. This is an example, and there were several I was going to choose from. I'll I'll choose this, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a law that says every single uh, seventh day, which would be Saturday, you are going to take that day off. And if you're a Jew, you have to take that day off. I've known Jews that will not go outside. And if they do go outside, they'll have to make a covering because they, can't on, they can only take a, few, a certain amount of steps outside. Because if they do more than that, it will be work. They can't turn on their oven. They will not do any work because the law says do not work. Now, as a Christian, you need to understand I'm still under the Sabbath law, but I'm not under it the same way that Jews observe it. I'm under a fulfilled law. Now, what was the purpose of the Sabbath? The Sabbath was given to us as a blessing. Understand when it was given, it was a blessing. It was saying, listen, you guys work all the time. You were slaves. I'm going to give you a day off, and I'm going to make sure that these slaves have a day in which they, were, they are reminded, I am not a slave. There's going to be a day in which if the grass needs to grow, God's growing and going to grow it. If, if something needs to happen, God will take care of it. You don't have to, to put everything on you. you got to do it. You are no longer a slave. You are in the kingdom of God. And this Sabbath law, when it was given, was like, this is awesome. This is fantastic. And so there's a time Jesus is walking, and he, he, on the Sabbath, he takes and he starts eating, and they say, hey, you can't do that. That's work. And Jesus reminds, listen, the Sabbath was given to us. We weren't given to the Sabbath. We weren't made so that we can obey the law. The law was given to us as a gift. When we, have a, 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 when we live out the Sabbath, I'll tell you, I still take a day off. I do. But I don't do it because I have to do it in order to be in a good relationship with God. I do it simply because I want to. Because what the Sabbath actually means to me now is I trust God in everything. God is my peace. God is my rest. And if there are some days, I'll be honest with y'all, just a full disclosure, I looked at my message yesterday. I did a little work. I, I read through this before, before today. And I didn't walk away thinking, oh, I just broke my Sabbath. Dang it. Instead, I understand that the Sabbath is now internal. It was given to me. I'm going to live every day as a Sabbath. I'm going to live every day as rest and peace in God. And this goes for every law. Every single law is still there. And it's just that its purpose has now been put in our hearts and the relationship has been brought to the forefront again. Last way to say it, and I I was just thinking of, make it clear. Imagine that, uh, how many of y'all have ever gotten a speeding ticket? All right, imagine that you find out that every speeding ticket you're ever going to get has been paid off, okay? Most of y'all be like, great. Some of y'all would say, I'm driving 90 miles an hour. Now, find out, you find out it was your mother. She somehow got enough money. She has paid for every ticket you could ever get. And the only thing she says to you is this. Hey, try to, try to be safe. Try to be safe. How are you going to drive? Now, you, you can drive, and if you go over the speed limit, and maybe you, you have an absent-minded, and you, you forget, whatever, and you, 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 you do that, and you have to pay a fine, and your, your mom, you're going to go to your mom, and you're going to say, Mom, thank you for doing this so much. I'm so sorry. I didn't. And you're going to have a heart of repentance. You're going to live under this. The law was fulfilled. It was paid. You didn't have to pay it. There's a freedom in it. It was fulfilled. But you're not going to go around saying, oh, I'm just going to speed anywhere I want. Instead, you're going to love the fact Somebody loved you enough to fulfill that law. That is what the kingdom of God is like. We 
live as Christ's followers in a fulfilled law. It means that the Spirit of God can reside in you because the law of God has been fulfilled. Now, as we close, I just want to remind us the purpose of this series, of what we're trying to do in this church. We have a vision in this church that every single person who feels abandoned by God, maybe has grown up with a skewed image of what church is. Maybe you grew up in a, in a religion and not a relationship. Maybe you uh, know people that have shame for their failures. Maybe you know how people who feel unworthy uh, of love and feel as if God could never love them. Maybe you know people that feel alone as if everyone's abandoned or they're exhausted. Those are the people that need to hear what we've heard. Those are the people that need to know, listen, I'm a light. There's something that i got to tell you. There's something that God has done inside of me. He has brought his presence into me, and I've got to give it to you. I've got to let you know about this. And so for the rest of this year, our church is focused, and really for the next few years, our church is focused on being what Jesus called us to be, a city on a hill, a light to the world. And for us, that means we're, we're focused right now on getting a permanent location for us, getting out of the school and getting a, per, a permanent location where people can drive by and see that's where connection. I know, if nothing else, I can meet God there. And to get there, we want you to give money and, and, and there's going to be a time for that, but really our heart right now is this. We want you to pursue your relationship with God so much that you can't help but invite and bring others to this church. And our goal for this church, for this uh, year, is that we want to see 220 people meet in this church on a non-holiday. Uh, Could be, uh, we're going to launch this officially. This is all just getting us geared up. We're going to launch this officially on March 31st. And on March 31st, we're going to have a time in our service in which we're going to make commitments. You know what? I'm going to have one or two people that I'm going to pray. I'm going to invest. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that they know the love of God the way I know the love of God. And so my hope during this series is that you're being drawn to God so that we can be unleashed, we can light the world on March 31st. Now, you're going to have the opportunity to, to commit financially to That's going to be a part of this, but we're not going to really push this year the financial part. There will be a time for that. But my hope for us is that you will fall in love as you hear more about the kingdom of God, about Jesus' proclamation of the King that you're going to say, hey, this is a place. The kingdom of God is here, and you've got to know about it. You are the light of the world. Be light. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for every single time we come to meet with you. We see a glimpse of you that's a little bigger than we thought. Every time we come with a burden that we think you can't handle, we see you're a little bigger than we thought. So first of all, Lord, I want to pray for those in this room right now that are carrying some burdens. And maybe this week they've thought, I don't even know how I'm going to carry this burden. I don't know how I'm going to, to move through this week. And they showed up here maybe just out of habit or religion. Lord, let us be reminded you've done something for us that is so incredible. You have cleansed the temple. You have given and fulfilled a law we could never fulfill. 
And in doing so, you have made us righteous vessels. You have made us whole. You have made us complete. And you didn't do it so that we would be awesome and, and proclaim how great we are. You did it so that you could reside in us. So that there would never be a moment in which we felt abandoned or too far from you. Some of us that are struggling right now in shame and sinful habits that we wish Instead of just trying to be better tomorrow, Lord, let us start with you and just asking God, forgive us our hearts, make us clean, align our will to your will, and give us small victories this week. But always remind us that you are with us. And Lord, as we look forward to March 31st or 29th, Lord, let us begin to just get a burden for the people around us who are going through life, and they may look like they've got it together, but we know, man, there is a... God that from the foundations of the earth had a plan, from the foundations of the earth said, you know what, no matter how messed up this world seems, I'm in control and I'm moving and what I'm going to do cannot be stopped. And indeed, we saw that with the resurrection of Jesus himself. And Lord, someday, just like you raised Jesus from the dead, there's a promise that you will raise us and we will be united and wherever we are, you will be. Lord, let us be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.